Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So, I'm excited. It's Palm Sunday. And the highlight of Palm Sunday is what? The kids coming down. Isn't that awesome? Like, church can't go wrong when kids walk down the middle aisle, right? Like, the pastor can say anything. The keyboard can fall off of the platform. The drum cage can blow up. But as long as there's kids walking down the middle aisle, it's a great Sunday. It's a parade. Now, think about this. Think about Palm Sunday. Think about what it represents. Now, think about springtime being here. We already had St. Patrick's Day. We're going to have Memorial Day. We're going to have Fourth of July. We're going to have Labor Day. And all of a sudden, people are going to begin to celebrate by hosting parades. And so many people are kind of like, they're kind of like um, parade crazies. They just go from town to town. When it's in Wyckoff, they go to Wyckoff. And then when it's in Ridgewood, they go to Ridgewood. And then when it's in Mawa, they go to Mawa. They just kind of track the parades because parades are a picture of celebration. Oftentimes, parades are after the fact, right? After the Super Bowl, after the Stanley Cup, right? After the World Series, after the NBA Finals, right? It's usually after the fact. But think about this. Think about back in the day when America went to war. They paraded their people to the docks. It was a sign of upcoming victory. Think about royalty. When a king begins his throne, what do they begin his throne with? A parade. This opportunity to celebrate what is to come. And that's what Palm Sunday is. We, we track the kids down here as a symbol of what had happened on Palm Sunday, probably Palm Saturday afternoon. A parade of ushering in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to his destination. And I want to start off this Holy Week in a manner of celebration. My prayer is this, that out of all the Holy Weeks you've ever experienced in your life, that this would be that Holy Week that you spend and begin in celebration because of who Jesus is, what he's done in your life, and what he's going to do in this world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you for just a, a solid morning. God, I know that there's mornings that we go deep. There's mornings that we deal with heart issues. There's mornings that we deal with a lot of tough stuff. But God, this week is just a day of celebration. We celebrate today. We remember on Friday. And this coming Sunday, we just celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus I ask you, even in my sermon, that it would be tight and concise. And each one of us, including myself, would have something that we would walk away with and say, I needed to hear that. So Spirit of God, give us a word from the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to summarize it for us. Verse 1 through 11, 
As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. That's actually a word of knowledge. If you ever want to hear what a word of knowledge is, is that Jesus was telling his disciples to give someone a word of knowledge that they would respond to the divine calling of an invitation. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble. If you have your Bibles, underline this. He is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, and let's all shout this together. Let's literally, let's really pretend that we were there on a count of three. One, two, three. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heavens. Now, imagine if you were at a parade for a Super Bowl team. The Jets, let's just call them, right? Oh, yeah, they don't make the Super Bowl, right? Think about it, right? Making sure you're awake. If you were at a parade, you would be shouting your team's name. So this is completely correct. Shouting their king's name. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Now, think about the word uproar. Is that positive? Is that negative? Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So let's contextualize the background. Here's what's interesting about Palm Sunday and the triumphant entry. That's what it's called, the triumphant entry. Someone was going to win. Now here's what's very interesting In each of the Gospels, this scenario is mentioned. And they are so in line with one another. It wasn't one of those where they were just trying to have different details to kind of blend them all together. But when you read the triumphant entry, it's almost so black and white. Clear as day. Here's what happened. Here's what the people did. And here's where they're going. So let's talk about it. It was the time of the feast of freedom. The Feast of Freedom is another word for the Passover. People from all over the world, and I want to read some of these that that I just identified in my studies. You had Jewish people from Athens and Egypt, Babylon, Rome, Damascus, and of course Galilee, all coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Freedoms, the Passover. 
It was the time that, that once a year, the big, big celebration where there would have been a procession of lambs that went ahead of Jesus, that they were going to be slaughtered for the sins of humanity. Each person was given a lamb. Each person would have raised that lamb. Believe it or not, each person would have named that lamb, and when it was time for the procession, they would put all of the the lambs in a line and enter them into Jerusalem. People were getting ready for the great sacrifice. And as the lambs went down into the lamb's gate, there's actually a place called the lamb's gate. Jesus told his disciples, he said, grab two donkeys. One of them was a colt which means it was never ridden before. Have you ever jumped on an unridden horse? Have you ever done that? Anyone? Right? My friend did. It was the most beautiful sight in the world. He got on it, and he went about 10 feet in the air. We dared him, right? We dared him. A bunch of 12-year-olds dared their friend to jump on a horse that was never ridden before. It was a beautiful day. But Jesus, he gets on this colt, That's never been ridden. And as he enters, everybody starts declaring the same chant. The very same thing. It wasn't like they passed out. Like, you know when you go to church and there's no, like, screen behind you and you're worshiping outside because there was something called COVID going on, which is still going on, and, and you get these sheets of paper and you're reading the songs? It wasn't like people passed out the songs. No. There was a stirring in everybody that someone just started chanting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, that sounds right. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, that sounds right. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, it says he was in the middle of the procession, just began to enter Jerusalem. And they threw down garments and palm branches. And Jesus rode over them. They were waiting for their king. The king. The one who came to represent King David. If you've noticed over the last two weeks, I've been bringing this up all the time, because our our sermon series is called Christ Our King. And when you open to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very first thing that Matthew points out, and he says, I want you to understand why I'm writing this book. Because Jesus is a descendant of David and of Abraham. The whole point of this book was that Matthew was writing to a group of people, the Jewish people, who 1.90% of them were all following the Christian faith, and then so many of them fell away. And he says, I need to rewrite a book. That points to the Messiahship, the kingship of Christ. And so when you're reading Matthew, you see multiple times where he's telling a narrative. He's telling an encounter with someone who that individual declares, Jesus, son of who? David. Let me just run through them real quick. First, two blind men in Matthew chapter 9, recognized Jesus. Two blind men. They heard about all Jesus was doing. They're like, he must be the son of David. 
Then we see that, that another person was healed in Matthew chapter 12 that we talked about last week. And they all started saying, could he be the son of David? And then we see that when a Canaanite woman, not a Jewish woman, a Canaanite woman, saw how Jesus healed her daughter, she said, this must be the son of David. And then we see it again with two more blind men on the side of the road who probably heard the same narrative that have already happened. They said, I wonder if we declare him as son of David, if, they will, if he will heal us too. And so in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 20, they do the same thing. And so there's this theme that now when you get to the great procession, the triumphant entry, that wow, he is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the one that has come in the name of the Lord to fulfill all the things that were spoken about, that were to happen, that came from the lineage of David. This was a moment. I mean, he was even prophesied about it. It says here in Amos chapter 9, verse 11, and I've been saying this for the last few weeks very deliberately, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the day of old. Remember, Jerusalem was the capital of David, Right? Amen? Right? It means yes. Amen means yes, right? Amen? Jerusalem was the capital of David. And so when Jesus got on the donkey, people were getting ready. He is going to proceed to his throne. And we are going to parade him in, and we don't care at whatever cost it will come at. What better time? The Passover, the Feast of Freedom, a feast reminding the people of Israel that, that God liberated them from the Egyptians, a foreign dictator who caused them to live in oppression for hundreds of years, 470 years, they lived under oppression. And now, it's like the same scenario playing out that someone overthrew David's throne and his name is Pilate, his name is Caesar. The Roman government was putting the people in a place of oppression just like Pharaoh once did. But now instead of being paraded out into the wilderness, he said, come on, let's go get him. Let's not run away from Pharaoh. Let's go attack Pharaoh. Isn't that a pretty cool picture? Instead of leaving and fleeing, they said, we are going to go and attack the one who's caused us to live in a place of oppression. The crowd knows what it wants. And let's be honest that when we come to church, or we turn on the news, or we go to work, or we talk to someone about being an American, we know what we want too, correct? This is what they wanted. They wanted what everybody wanted, political reform, a balanced and fair economy, affordable health care, 
a strong military, a peaceful streets, lower taxes, good schools. Because Jesus was not just going to be their spiritual leader. He was going to be their political king. But the problem is they had no idea what they were asking for. Because Jesus cannot be contained here on earth. His kingdom's bigger. It's wider. It's stronger. It's more powerful. It's transforming. And they were so excited they began to shout, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. You see, Jesus was their victor. Zechariah 9, 9 says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet, he is what? Humble. Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9 was literally telling what was going to unfold. I mean, think about that. Think about how the two disciples went to this guy and said, hey, the Lord wants your donkeys. Okay. That was a divine moment. And the guy's probably thinking, wow. I might have just been part of Zechariah chapter 9. Like, like something is unfolding in front of us. H have you ever been part of something unfolding in front of you? Have you ever been part of something bigger than you thought of? Something that you knew was going to happen, and all of a sudden, it starts unfolding in front of you. And that's what was taking place. Victory was going to come from a victor. And there's two qualities about this victor that I believe we need to really just hone in and grab. And these need to be the handles that we hold on to as we walk through Easter. One, he was righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means that we do what's right in the eyes of humanity and in the eyes of God. It's not one or the other. That our righteousness, that when God sees us and how we live in relationship with him and we live in relationship with others, that there's a mirroring of one another. Will we ever do that perfect? No. But we're given the Holy Spirit to be able to work in us and shape us and mold us into the righteousness that we desire to live in. I always say this. Church is not about morality. It's about holiness. Because when you say that you're moral, you're just as moral as those who determine what morality is. Holiness is looking in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Scripture, allowing the Spirit of God to look in your heart and say, I want to shape you and mold you in a place that's going to cause you to live above and beyond what everyone ever can ever exceed to. And that's a reality. What do you mean? You're going to be perfect? No. I'm going to be perfectly positioned that when I mess up, I apologize. That's holiness. I'm perfectly positioned that when I mess up, I have the humility to apologize and recognize my wrong. That's holiness. 
It's not being perfect, but it's putting yourself in a situation that you allow the Holy Spirit to do everything that he wants to do in your life. So that means you're going to learn to follow Jesus and you're going to unlearn bad patterns that you once lived in. Do I get an amen for that? Right? Isn't that the message we need to hear? That the gospel is not about perfection. It's about the only perfect thing we can do is look in the eyes of the one who is perfect. So he can shape us and mold us. That we can live out the lives that God has called us to. And when we fail, when we fail, we know how to say the three most most important words everyone needs to hear. I am sorry. And his righteousness, he was intolerant of oppression. He was intolerant of the powers that be. He was intolerant with the things that we would say we need to be intolerant about. About people being bullied. About people being picked on. About those not being welcomed into the community and loved in their brokenness. He was intolerant with the, with the sick people living on the hill and no one going to them and loving them and touching them and being present for them. He was intolerant of that. He says, I'll go. I'll touch them. And all the disciples are like, you go first. You follow Jesus first. I'm not going up that hill. I'm not going up the hill. And Jesus is saying, you want to be like me? Let's go to the hill. He was intolerant of oppression. And so his righteousness exceeded all of humanity. Because the people had lived in a place of oppression for hundreds of years. And it wasn't their first rodeo. It's happened before. And they said, now the one has come to break the oppressor's arm. People watched. They witnessed his intolerance of injustice to the poor. They witnessed his intolerance of the hypocrisy as he confronted the religious leaders and the wealthy. Isn't that the most righteous thing we can do? Stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves? Isn't that the most righteous thing we can do, that when someone cannot stand up for themselves, have a voice for themselves, that we are the ones who step in and said, I will be your voice. I will be your hands. I will be your feet. I will be the presence of God in your place of brokenness. Zacharias speaks of a king who is righteous rather than full of wrath. But it was more than that. And we see this in Matthew chapter 1, and we see this in Zechariah, that, that this king was not just righteous, he was humble. He was humble. He purposely rode on a donkey. And we always say, like, like well, there must be more to the donkey than, than we realize. Like, was this so out of left field? No. This is what the people were waiting for. When a pastor manipulates the donkey in, in their passage, it's not true. They saw the white horse. They saw Judas of Maccabee come in and try to overtake Rome. They seen those who wanted to be the Messiah, who played a Messiah role, come in on the big horse, on the stallion. And their fates always ended in death. Yes, Good things came out of those people. Judas of Maccabee, right? It's why we celebrate Hanukkah. 
It's why we celebrate Hanukkah. He came to do great things for the Jewish people, but he wasn't the one. The one was coming in on a donkey, something that's never been written before. It, it was a sign of humility that he didn't have to be lifted up on a stallion, on something of strength and power. But the power was in the person who was riding on the back of the donkey. His humility, he consistently cared for others over himself. He fed the 5,000. He took time to be with people. He found himself in the small villages. He went into the marketplaces. He went into the parts of the temple and synagogue that, that people wouldn't go into if you were that status in which he was. His humility loved the people that were unlovable. He was the people's king. He was the people's choice. Not the one who was distant, but the one in whom others were allowed to approach. The one who made himself accessible. This was the king that everyone wanted. Yet the way his victory would come and how it would manifest was unexpected. So let me paint you a really cool picture that we often don't talk about, about this Feast of Freedom. It was a huge deal. It was the real big high holy holiday. And there are many high holy holidays in the Jewish faith. It's one of those things in our Christian faith that we really miss out on. We miss out on certain celebrations. Yes, we have Christmas we have Holy Week. We have Easter. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate Advent. So we, we kind of stretch out the Christmas season. It's kind of what the early church fathers did. They said, we need more than a day. We need a month. So we're going to call it Advent, and we're going to walk through the narrative. That's all Advent is. It's, it's taking a holiday, and it's stretching it out. But when you look at the Jewish faith, there are hundreds of celebrations. I mean, they knew how to party, even when they lived in a place of oppression. But here's what Pilate would do. Here's what Caesar would do. Here's what the Roman government would do. When they knew these high holy holidays were about to come to fruition, they would do the same thing. They would parade in. It was, a, it was really a spectacle. It was a celebration. And all the Romans would come out and cheer them on. And a lot of the Jewish people were forced to come out and do the same thing. And so I really imagine this. If you really study church history, there is a really good argument that as Jesus was coming from one side of the mountains, Pilate was coming from another. And it was almost like two teams going down to the battlefield or two armies going down to the battlefield for a war. And so here you have on one side of one mountain, you have Pilate and everyone chanting him, Pilate, 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 Pilate. And then you have on another mountain, Jesus coming down, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David, Pilate, Jesus, Pilate, Jesus, Pilate, Jesus, Pilate. Jesus. And the people are like, oh yeah, it's time to rumble. Let's do this. Let's get ready for this fight. 
I mean, think about it. When, it says that when Jesus entered, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, that the people were in a what? An uproar. There were many people that were excited, and there were many people that were angry. Many people were angry. But you know what happens with war? Someone must die. It says that war is hell. War is hell. Do you know anyone who's come back from war? Have you ever dealt with someone who has PTSD? Real PTSD. Shot at. Shot. Seeing their friends, their, their brothers or sisters dying in front of them. Have you, have, do you know anyone like that? Like really like that? War is hell. But hell had to be conquered by Jesus who was willing to die for us. You see, here's what his victory came at. He was willing to give his life for us. He was willing to give his life for us. And what's so interesting that when you read the gospel of Matthew, and please, please, for the love of God, Take time every day and read your Bible. Grab your phone. Let me see your phone, honey bunny. Let me see your phone. There is an amazing Bible app called The Bible. It's really, it's like a really powerful name. Just write this down. The Bible. And literally, you could listen to the Bible every single day you go to work. You could go through the Bible at least once in a year by just opening the app that's called, what's it called? The Bible. And hitting play. Don't take my word for it. I'm going to keep your phone. Take it for what it is. When you study Matthew, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples, this is how the victory is going to come. It's not going to come with me with a hand-to-hand -hand combat with Pilate in the middle of a circle, in the arena, victory was going to come by me giving my life for the sake of the world. He said this in, in chapter 16. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Hey, guys, let me tell you again how this is going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to be raised to life. But sometimes we don't like to believe truths. Sometimes we don't like to believe the realities that are best for us. So yeah, not this time. Not, not this time. It, it can't happen during a Passover. Maybe that's in the future. Like, let's take Pilate out. Let's get the throne for a little bit. But we'll do this in the future. But three times, three times, find it interesting that, that where he would have been paraded, remember I said that lambs would have gone before him, they would have started the parade, 
and then he would have followed. And what what does John the Baptist call him? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God was being paraded into Jerusalem through the Lamb's gate that he would be the sacrifice for sin once and for all. Isaiah 53, he was led, paraded like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. How wild is that imagery? Everyone was ready for a battle. Yet Jesus was willing to be that lamb who sat on a donkey, who was going to give his life for ours. All victories come at a cost. A cost of loss. And in order for hell to be conquered, Jesus had to give his life. Yes, a triumphant entry is a military parade. It's a sign of conquering commander coming into a city and celebrating his victory before the war was won. And here's the war that Jesus won. No matter what the world says, no matter how they try to confuse this or manipulate this or cut it off, this is what Jesus did. It's why over 2,000 years later, we are saying, yes, I believe. I believe. I believe this is what Jesus did. He came to conquer sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, you can cheer after I say this. You can cheer. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen, Amen, right? That's the victory he won. Through his death and resurrection, we are made right before God. We are made right before God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. All are welcome. All are welcome. All are welcome. The Canaanite woman was welcome to bring her daughter before Jesus. The Samaritan was welcome to present themselves to Jesus. All are welcome. We get to share in his inheritance. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Man, that first sentence is awesome. How many of us like that second sentence? Right? Seriously. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to lay down your life for someone else so that they would be able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to lay down your reputation? Are you willing to lay down your pride? Are you willing to lay down your arrogance? Are you willing to lay down your ego? That in humility you can say, let me share the hope that I profess. We come 
on this Palm Sunday in the spirit of celebration. Amen? Amen. We come to celebrate. You should go out to lunch today. And if you don't go out to lunch today, you should go out to dessert tonight. You should make a big deal today for your families. You should do pizza with your kids. Aaron, you got to take your kids to Dairy Queen today. Total responsibility right now. Oh, yeah, right? Maddie Mae's like, I love you, Pastor Ralph. Right? Yes. You should do something big. We're doing something big after church with our boys. We want to celebrate Palm Sunday. It's one of those holidays. It's like, hey, let's maybe not go to church Palm Sunday because we're going to be there Friday and Sunday. Oh, my gosh. And there's an Easter egg on. Come on, plant church too much in one weekend. No. <laughs> we're celebrating. We're celebrating. But in our celebration, let's have right expectations. Let's have right expectations. Let's not be like the people in the crowd that had selfish ambition. Their pride was saying, we'll show you, Rome. We'll show you, Pilate. See, our king will overtake you. No, our king was willing to lay down his life so he could overtake the world. Oof. That's pretty powerful. Jerusalem was too small. He came to conquer the world. And not just the world, the universe. What are your expectations? Do our expectations of Christ align with who Jesus is? Do they? Do they? Have you allowed circumstances, cultural persuasions to cause spiritual blindness? Today, come with eyes to see, ears to hear the truth that Christ is. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.